This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Tonight, we're going to metaphorically go into the closet, get out the high school band instrument, and see if we can still play a B-flat. And you're going to need that B-flat tonight because tonight's episode is 1984's Amadeus, the story of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and the patron saint of mediocrity. So, let's see if you can play that B-flat. And if you try to play a B-sharp, you fail. Here we go. Is that movie still good? Well, hello again, Jim. It's been a while. Yeah, welcome back, friends. Hey, Nate. Um, we are back on a little summer hiatus. We promised one more bonus episode, and this is what we're doing here. Been a little bit of a break since we got together last, so uh, what's going on? How's your summer going? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. I mean, officially, it's not summer yet. Uh, if you want to know the exact time of this recording, it's actually the day before summer starts. I think summer starts in about four hours. Right, right. Right, by the weatherman. Yes. You know, and who are, who are incredibly accurate about everything they say, by the way. That's correct. I yeah. think they are accurate about tomorrow being the longest day of the year, though. That's true. That's true. But, you know, it's kind of depressing because tomorrow being the longest day of the year, even though summer's starting and that's exciting, the days start getting shorter. The days do start getting shorter, but we're getting close to football season. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was just thinking the other day, uh, you brought up sports. NBA ended, NHL ended. I know baseball's going on, but it's, you know, summertime, baseball, who cares? There's really no more big sports for a while, is there? Not not a lot going on. You know, I did realize uh, last week that I love primetime golf. The, the, uh, oh, the, the, US the U.S. Open at Pebble great. Beach was awesome. Watching golf at, at 9 o'clock at night is so good. That was fantastic. I, I enjoyed that tournament, too. Uh, but, I mean, I personally, you know, when it comes to this time of the year, I – pretty much just turn my attention towards it's almost football season. Right, right. Now we're just getting focused in. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, do you feel like that, like, us as fans, when it comes to the NFL, do just as much preparation? Not just as much. I, I realize those guys are actually getting up and working out where I just am Googling stuff. But we're all kind of getting prepped up for NFL and getting fired up for NFL. Yeah, and, and it's a year-round cycle now. And there, and with all, all of our technology and interconnected news stories, um, we're constantly getting – uh, notifications about a player doing this or a coaching change or whatever it is. So uh, definitely getting ready for uh, both NFL and NCAA football because well, yeah. we both are college football fans of too. Course. Now, do you have an NFL team you follow? I have been a Chicago Bears fan since I was a little kid. Big Walter Payton fan, shuffling crew right up through uh, present day. I love them. Yeah, and, I'm, and, I'm, I'm a Steelers fan, and uh, you know, funny story. Um, I don't even remember becoming a Steelers fan. My my, my, my family are not Steelers fans. Um, I grew up in Southern Ohio, so they were all Bengals fans. But there's pictures of me when I'm a small child wearing Steelers gear. And I, and I asked my mom once, I was like, how did that happen? And she said, well, you you know, you just would not shut up about Mean Joe Green and Franco Harris. And so we just, to shut you up, we bought you Steelers stuff. And so I don't even remember becoming a Steelers fan. And and But I've been loyal, even during the 80s when they were horrible, I've been loyal to them. Um, so I, you know, I follow them. I mean, they're probably one of the top four or five things I follow in life. So yep. I, I, I get excited this time of year just to see what's coming around the bend. Yeah, me too. Me too. So it's coming soon. And uh, there's a little fun glimpse into kind of what we're passionate about other than making podcasts and watching movies. Well, and you know, it's interesting because we, we, we look at Amadeus and Amadeus was, was the time frame of Amadeus. You know, Wolfgang Amadeus himself lived from 1756 to 1791. And he was already, you know, popular, like, at five or six years old. Right. So, 
he was living not only during like what was leading up to the American Revolution, mm-hmm. but then also through the French Revolution. And of course, there wasn't sports. I'm sure there was informal sports going on. Obviously, there wasn't entertainment like movies and things like that. So at that time, other than like revolution and war and things like that, the only break from that type of thing was music. Right. Going to the opera, seeing a play, uh, those kinds of things were the movies of our day, right? And it wasn't, it was a situation where the aristocracy could go. Like the commoners weren't watching a lot of uh, operas. Well, right? in the, but in the movie, we actually have a big scene with the commoners. Yes. That, that, that watch it. And that's, you know, one of the fascinating things that we'll talk about a little bit later is that in, in, in granted, their level of entertainment per, was probably not as high. Right. Um, but that was, you know, to get away from the day-to-day life and to have that escape back then, really, this was about it, where today we have so many options. Yes. And I think that's what makes uh, Mozart, just as an individual, and we'll talk about the movie here in a second, such a unique individual along with some of his contemporaries, um, you know, writers, playwrights, Mm -hmm. people like that, artists, um, is that there were very limited escapes. Yes, no doubt. In this era. No doubt. So, so here we are. We have, we have Amadeus. We, we've been saying all along through season one, um, you know, our golden rule that we're not going to cover any movies that, that won an Academy Award. And, of course, if you're a loyal listener, which we hope you are, and if you're not, please go back and catch up. We, we have been teasing this one for a while. A little bit. We've, we've talked about this. We both remembered really liking this movie and decided we'd kind of break that rule. And if you know anything about us, it's that we have no discipline, and we're just going to make rules and then go break them. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's, fun. <laughs> that's exactly what we, we're doing here. Um, but uh, this is an interesting movie in terms of Oscar-winning uh, films because I went back and looked at different ranking lists of Academy Award-winning movies, uh, you know, bests, and there have been 92 Academy Award-winning best pictures. And you can find, depending on the person who makes the list, this movie ranked anywhere from about 26 all the way down to somewhere in the 70s. So there's a lot of different uh, opinions about this movie, and it's one that probably is somewhat forgotten by our generation. You know, we remember seeing it, but nobody goes back and rewatches it. It's not like The Godfather, you know, or, or Rocky or something like that. Well, and it's because it didn't have the big star power. Right. Number one. Um, number two, I think we're, people are familiar with different versions. Like, for example, the version that was actually released in the theaters, and this movie was released in 1984. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the original one was, what, about two and a half hours long, give yeah, or take? It, I think it was, an, uh, yeah, 240 minutes, yeah. or, or two hours and 40 minutes. And then the director's cut's like three four. But the director's cut did not come out for like 10 to 15 years later. Yeah, that's right. So if you did not see this movie in the theaters or see it on a pay you know pay cable channel like HBO early on, you're probably much more familiar with the three-hour version. Right. And, and, and here's what's interesting. The reason that they, they cut it shorter, which you're probably going two hours and 40 minutes is still a long movie, but the, the reason they cut it short in 1984 was because if, if you think about what was going on in 1984, especially from an entertainment standpoint – you had MTV blowing up. Yep. All right. And which was a completely new medium, like out of nowhere. So the director, uh, he was, he, and the producers and all the, you know, everybody that was involved was like, we can't put a three hour movie out right now that's about classical music, that's a period piece with costumes, 
because the, the the short attention span that it developed with the MTV generation. Right. That's exactly right. And it's interesting because it comes on the heels. It, it's such a quick change because it comes on the heels of just two years earlier, um, a three-hour biopic in Gandhi winning Best Picture. Um, but to your point, with, with this film, this was a three-hour biopic initially. They, they could not get studio funding. Um, it never cracked the top five in box office receipts at any point. And I mean, it only grossed fifty-two million, you know, in North America. Now yeah. it had an eighteen million dollar budget, so it still made money, right? But I mean, it, it was not a huge blockbuster, no type movie. Did Did you read the story? One of the interesting stories I came across when I was looking at this was uh, in trying to find funding for this production funding. Um, Walter Matthau is a big Mozart fan. Did you Did you read the story? I did not that? know this. Okay, so Walter Matthau. Well, wait, do we need to tell people who Walter Matthau is? <laughs> we, we might. Hey, check out the bad <laughs> well, news bears. Yeah, yeah. You guys go Google Walter Matthau. So he offered to finance the film on the condition that he get to play Mozart. Mozart was Mozart died at thirty five. Walter Matthau was sixty when he made that <laughs> offer. So yeah. if you think so, any question about how hard it was to get this movie to the screen. That should answer it for you right there. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's, it's an interesting tale, too, because I think where, where this movie... Because I knew who Mozart was when it mm-hmm. came out. Even being an 11-year-old, 12-year-old. I mean, who you know who, who doesn't know Mozart? Um, but I didn't know the story of Salieri. Right. Well, Salieri... Nobody knew the story of Salieri. And he was... Uh, a, an important and, and, composer. and that's why he was so sad during the movie because yes, nobody, nobody knows knew his him. story. Nobody remembered him. Except people know him now. This movie was the best thing for Salieri's <laughs> career. Period. Like, he's he's probably just like in his like grave, just like still dancing. Finally, like, finally, 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 people know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because the way the movie starts out is it's it's Salieri and he's like an old guy and he's talking to a priest and he's played by F. Murray Abraham. Mm-hmm. And you probably don't know who F. Murray Abraham is, or you might. I mean, where? I mean, F. Murray. I mean, to me, am I being shallow here? I mean, is he just like a poor man's like Ben Kingsley? I think that's. I think you could make that argument. I'm not. Ben Kingsley is, you know, a knighted classical actor. He's he's just a, a great actor. And F. Murray Abraham is a great actor too, but he hasn't been in as many juicy roles, as many meaty roles. But he's awesome in everything. You know, I um. When when I've watched Homeland, I, he's one of the best characters in that show. He's a great actor, interesting guy. I, the the thing about it, when I watched this movie, um, I thought he was like sixty years old when I saw it. So like he's just continued <laughs> right. to be uh, yeah. an old dude. Well, and the, and the movie starts out where he's like he's a composer and he's confessing to this priest in his old age, and you can tell it's kind of padded old makeup, you know, special effects from the eighties before CGI. And and he had to spend like four hours in the chair to get made up like the old man. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was it was a massive makeup situation. Yeah, it was, it was wild. And basically, you know, he just starts talking, you know, about this young boy. Because he he says you know I wanted to be like a musician. Yeah, I well, love music so much, and his dad like didn't like music, and his and so he makes an oath to God, you know, love him, just give me a chance. And he's and he's from northeastern Italy, like somewhere right. between like you know Venice and and um, oh where where's Romeo and Juliet? Where are they from? Um, but anyway, he's north. He's, you know, so he's kind of a country boy. Yeah, and he makes this oath to God, and his dad dies, so he takes that. And as the dad dying is one of the best. 
comic relief moments of the whole yeah. movie. And it's real early, but it's it's awesome. It is. It is. It's funny. And so then he like, oh, you know, that's you know, I, that that's a sign from God. And he does like actually make himself pretty successful, and he gets himself up into the court of the the emperor and emperor Joseph. Emperor Joseph. He becomes the court composer for Emperor Joseph. So right. he's you know he's living a nice life. Right. But then he sees the boy. Right. The the protege. Who, the first scene that we see with Mozart, he's like five, six years old, and he's playing blindfolded yes. and just dominating. And of course, by now, and I forget all the stuff, I didn't write it down, but he's you know already written his first concerto. Con- concerto, yeah. Concerta. He's written some stuff. and he's- He does his first opera by the time he's eight and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, this whole movie, though, is all, it, it really is focused on Salieri. And I'm going to mispronounce his name a, a thousand times, so just yeah. I'm going to pr- proclaim that but, right But now. that's right. As I was watching this again this time... It's not like, about Mozart. The, re- the, re- about the rewatch yeah. is, this isn't Mozart's movie. This isn't really a movie about the life of Wolfgang Mozart. It's a, it's a story about Salieri. And, spoiler alert here at this point, there was a lot of playing loose with the facts in this movie. Because oh, Salieri uh, actually did not try to kill Mozart. They were... Or, or didn't hate him. They were rivals. They were professional rivals, and outside that, there was basically nothing there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. It, it was very fictionalized. Yes, yes, very fictionalized. And and when we when we wrap it up, I'll I'll make a point about that and and try to determine if it's intentional or not. Well, and I and I would also say as part of the fictionalization of it, as well as Tom Holsey plays Mozart, I'm sure that Mozart was not as foolish as that movie makes Mozart out to be. Of course not. Of yeah. course not. Now, he was probably a philanderer. Right. You know, I'm sure he was a jokester. Right. And, and drunk, and, drunk and, and all that kind of he, stuff. But he, he was a good time. I'm, I'm quite certain of he that. He would have been fun to party with. Yes. Yeah. Except for at some point, he would have been like, I'm Mozart. I get to like run the show. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. 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 He would have definitely been the cool kid. But, but quick, quickly, yeah. on, on these period pieces, because I love a period piece, and I have said before that I don't think you can do a really great story in less than two and a half hours. So... I love everything about these kinds of movies. But when you watch these movies, do you ever find yourself thinking, man, they must have smelled terrible back then? I think it Imagine every time I watch how hot they were. No air conditioning and layers and layers of clothes, the wig. But the thing is, and here's the thing about just, you know, the olfactory you know, senses yeah. in general, is that if everybody and everything smells bad, nobody notices. Right, right. It's kind of like the farmer who can't smell the cow poop. What do you <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I, I think it just kind of passes, you know, right. you know just, it just kind of goes beyond any any recognition. Um, now, uh, this movie, though, it's, it, it's pretty interesting because a lot of it is listening to Mozart's music. Yes. So yes. while I watch this movie, I could do things like, oh, I could make some dinner, or I could clean, or pick up something, because it's just, we're going to listen to Mozart for five or ten minutes. And you know what? That was really cool. It was <laughs> awesome. So so, so I love music. I, I um, You and I both love music, but I, I do have uh, a, a passion for classical music, have played some back in the day. So I like it, but I'm not a big fan of opera. And I felt like after watching this one, that was the perfect opera. Like, you just give me a little bit of synopsis, give me a 10-minute clip here, awesome. Let's go well, on. Well, and, that, and that's, I, and, when, and you'll see this when you watch the movie, is I think that's, what he, he was an opera rebel. Yes. Because everything that, like, the opera directors and the people that, you know, for the emperor or the archbishop, they, they all wanted opera to be a certain way, like Italian's a language of love, and at one point, you know, German's too hard of a language for an opera. 
Uh, but and, Mozart and you can't would do just, Figaro because we're 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 because they would ban that. the play, and you can't do ballet in an, in, opera. In an opera. And there are so many constraints and so many rules. And Mozart just pretty much stuck his fingers up to every single thing and said, "No, you guys don't understand beautiful music." Right. So there are two important themes here that I got from this that I loved. Um, one of them is that the music industry has always been cutthroat and you've always had producers trying to stifle you, which is essentially what the Emperor's Court was, right? Right. Like, they were the yep. music producers. Yep. They were like, this isn't going to fly. They were Phil Spector. Yeah, you got to cut this five-minute record down to 320 so I can get it on the radio. Yep. And then the other thing is a transcendent artist pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable with art. And that's essentially what Mozart was. And that's that's when we think about transcendent artists... Forever. That's exactly what they do every time. Well, and what, what, unless you've studied it before or paid attention to it, what you, what you might not know is the chronology, that chronologic, chronology, chronology, whatever, of, of what's going on here. Because Mozart came to Vienna from Salzburg. Mm -hmm. The year that Mozart died was the year Beethoven showed up in Vienna. Right. You know, Beethoven lived from 1770 to 1827, mm-hmm. and Beethoven might be a better composer than Mozart. I don't, you know, it's it's debatable. It depends on your taste. It's like you know, Beatles or the Stones, whatever. So I, I've got that. Qu- so I, that was one of my questions: is Do you have a favorite composer? Oh, I prefer Mozart. You do? Okay. Yeah. I I have always been preferred uh, the symphony over the opera, and so I have always the the nine Beethoven symphonies are some of my favorite stuff. Yeah, and, and 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 but you know my prejudice probably comes from this movie, right? Because I, I mean, I, and I love Beethoven. It's like, mm-hmm. and I and I have on my you know Pandora on my phone. I actually have a classical station. I, right. I actually listen to probably more classical music. And you know, I took a, I took the drop the needle class in college. Yeah, yeah. You know, where the professor would just drop the needle and you'd have to pick, pick out was it Schubert, is it Bach, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know a little bit about it. I'm not a musician like you. I know I I know enough to like sound stupid when I'm talking about it, but. You know, he paved the way for Beethoven. For sure, he was he was so influential in so many uh, composers, like coming trans, transforming from that you know Baroque period and going into the classical period, and uh, and then to the modern to the modern period, and and you still hear what he's doing, you know, in modern compositions. Like I would argue that, so I, I would argue that the greatest American composer is composer is probably Aaron Copland. But, I mean, I think you could make a case, as we're talking about movies and music, like, you could make a case of John Williams being one of the greatest American composers. Oh, let's save stop. John Williams for later. I okay. got, I got, I got right. some John Williams. Yeah. Okay. But, so, but, here, but, here's he, but you can hear influences in his sure. writings. Sure. And, and, and actually, you know, the, you know, and you know me, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Right. The Beatles transcended, once again, they rebelled against their producers. Yes. But they found a producer that would support them. And they changed music just because they were going to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And they set the stage for what became 30 years of rock and roll. Right. Until until the uh, 80s hair band kind of killed it. Yeah, and then it had to be saved by grunge. Mozart was kind of the same way to where he paved a way for a new type of music. And also, if you think about it, you know, and I know I'm making some stretches here and some parallels. And once again, I go back to what I said about 10 minutes ago, which is Mozart was doing this during the American Revolution when all of England was over there fighting. Right. And then the French went to help us in America mm-hmm. win yes. the revolution. And then when they got back from helping us, then you had the French Revolution right. happen. And then, you know, there was a lot of things going on in the world. 
And so once again, like the Beatles were like in the 60s during like, you know, mostly American type stuff. Right. But Vietnam War and like kind of this during this kind of pressure cooker era where people are looking for something new and it kind of creates like a new platform for people artistically to create on top of it. Right. They were at they they were at their peak when America's turmoil was probably at its peak as well during that that social revolution time right. in the late 60s, 68 and 69. That right. Just like Mozart was at his peak during when Europe right. was, was in a that ton same, of turmoil. Was in a ton of turmoil. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. But, you know, it, it, you know, it's just, you know, if you take all of those things into context, it really makes for a fascinating story. Yes. Yeah. But let's get back to the movie for a second. So, you know, we had talked about, you know, the movie starts with Solare and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and he sees young Beethoven. Then we, you know, we skip a couple scenes, and we'll get to what I think is um, one of the first best scenes of this movie. And that's where um, Solari, he obviously he's heard of Beethoven. He knows mm-hmm. him, but he's never met him before. And Solari's walking around. I think they're at uh, they're at the Emperor. Uh, yes. Yeah, Philip is that his name? Uh, uh, Joseph. Emperor jo- Joseph. Emperor Joseph. Yeah, yeah. Emperor and Joseph II. Wasn't he like Marie Antoinette's Marie brother? brother. brother. Yeah. Correct. Um, and she didn't fare well in the French Revolution. No, she. No, <laughs> that was tough on her. But anyway, um, he's wanting. To, he's like he's talking about. Oh, I just imagine I want, what this guy this looks guy, like. This Mozart guy. And what's he look like? And he's just like he's got a smile on his face. He's like, you know, because of course back then you didn't have pictures. You didn't know. No. And he and he was already impressed by his music. He knew his music so well. He like was so excited to go meet him. And then he goes into this room and like. Kind of has to hide behind like a desk or something. Yeah, he's in this buffet room and he's like knocking back some strawberries or something, and he hears something, so he hides like back behind the table. And and, and, and you see somebody run through, and all you see is the legs, and you see the giggle, or you hear the giggle. Yeah, the uh, the giggle. And if you've ever seen this movie, you know what we're talking about with the giggle. And and he watches, and he sees Mozart. Chasing around this, and he's not even sure if it's Mozart. He yet, sees this point. guy chasing this girl, girl and, and he's yeah. like, you know, yeah. and and there he he's saying things backwards to her, yeah, uh, you know, like like figure it out. Like one of them is like kiss my ass, and then the other yeah. one is marry me, and then you yeah, know, it's, it's, yeah, he's just very vulgar, but yet yes. very brilliant. Yes, and then and then all of a sudden, like he freezes and he stands up and he's like, they're playing my music, right. It started without me. It started without me. <laughs> and he just takes off and he goes in to the uh, the chamber hall or ballroom, where, wherever it was, and just walks up right up to the conductor stand and starts doing this awesome thing. And Salieri walks in and he's just like, that's Mozart? This crude... You gotta be kidding you me. You gotta be kidding me. And But he's still at the same time, he's blown away by the music. Yes. And, and he knows it's great. And, yeah. you know, I think another theme in this movie, is, while again, it's more about Salieri than it is about Mozart, but a lot of it is about his relationship with God because he, he begs God to make him a conductor, let him play music. He, it happens, and then he sees Mozart and who he is and what he is, and he is like, how in the world could you give this vulgar creation the greatest gift that I think you could give anybody, which is to be the most brilliant musician in the world? Yeah, do you think there's like some... like? Uh utility shortstop from the 60s that would look at Mickey Mantle and say the same thing? Probably. <laughs> it's like, why, why, did, why did you give Mickey Mantle or some, like, you know, offensive guard looking at Paul Hornig? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know what? I mean, you know, talent's talent. You know, it's it's not all, you, you know. Well, it's a great story about how, 
as people, we sometimes bargain with God, and that's just not how the game plays, right? No, like that's not what, that's whatever not your belief system is. That's not, that's how, not it how it works. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. So th- this movie was directed by uh, Milo's foreman. Mm-hmm. What do you know about Milo's? Uh, he was exiled from uh, Czech Republic, right? Yeah, yeah, Czech, yeah. yeah Czech so there, there's a fascinating story about this movie in the production. So they, they filmed some of it in Prague. And all the scenes that were in Vienna and the opera house is all in Prague. And one of the uh, stories is that the day they were um, the day they were filming one of the opera scenes um, was the Fourth of July. And so as as this big sort of a, a prank or gag or whatever, as they're doing it, uh, he has a big American flag unfurled, and everybody and he has the band, the orchestra start playing Star Spangled Banner, and everybody in the place stands up and starts singing. Uh, the Star Spangled Banner, except for about 30 people in the audience who, you know, were just sitting there. And he just assumed they were just extras, regulars from Prague who were sitting there. And it turns out they were secret police who were keeping tabs on him. So because he uh, renounced his citizenship there, came to America, became a citizen, and he was still untrusted. And so one of the stories also goes that he was allowed to shoot there, but one of the deals under this, because at this point, Czechoslovakia was a communist state. I should point that out. For anybody who's young and doesn't remember. And so very restrictive, very repressive. And in order for them to get the shoot there, Foreman, who was already persona non grata, had to agree that he would shoot and then go back to his hotel every night. No running around town or whatever because it, they were concerned he would incite some sort of a rebellion situation. And the other, the, the stunning one is his private personal driver had to be this guy who was his best friend, this Czech citizen who was his best friend from back in the day. And basically they did that so that way Foreman knew if he got out of line, his buddy was going to get off. Yeah. It was, it, I mean, just kind of stunning to think yeah. about that in the context of putting this movie together. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And, and, and you know, Foreman, you know, his, his filmography is not impressive. You're not going to read through it and be like, oh, look at these like 30, 20 movies that he was involved in. But, he, you know, he did win two Academy Awards uh, for, for Best Director, and it kind of spanned a very interesting like time frame. Number number one, he just died a year, year ago. Yeah. He just died last year. He was born in 1932, I think. But he directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, yep. And if you haven't seen that movie... Definitely worth seeing. It's a great one. Definitely worth seeing. Matter of fact, I, I have One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest on the original DVD, mm-hmm. which ironically, I also have Amadeus on the original DVD. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not Blu-ray. Let me stress. Right. Not Blu-ray. No, no, original no, is... DVD. Um, and here's a funny thing. Well, number one, I think for as far as our podcast go, this might be the first time I didn't have to pay for a movie. Nice work. <laughs> nice. And, I, and I definitely didn't have to pay for it twice. Right. <laughs> you know, um, or maybe, yeah. maybe I had 12 monkeys. Maybe that might've been the oh, other yeah, one that I, I had. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. But, um, but well, here, here's the, here, here's the really hilarious part of this. So I'm, I'm watching the movie to prep for the podcast and, my disc keeps telling me, oh, there's only like, you know, 30 minutes left or something. Right. I'm like, oh, that just seems weird. I don't think we're far enough along. And then all of a sudden the disc goes black and ends. I'm like, that's not the end of the movie. And for those of you that don't remember old DVDs, it's like a vinyl album. I had to like take it out of my PlayStation 4 because that's what I play in then. Yeah. Turn it over and stick it back in. Yeah, it's a it two-sided. Like an album. It was yep. a two-sided. Oh, um, there's still an hour to go. Got <laughs> still it. an hour to go. Dang. Um. But uh, 
Anyway, so he he directed One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, and then in 96, he directed The People vs. Larry Flint. Which was awesome. Which is a great movie. It's, it is a great movie. It's, it's, it's the best thing Courtney Love's ever done, isn't it? I thought it was the only thing other than Kurt Cobain. Well, I mean, there was one whole album that was pretty good, but yeah. uh, it, that was great. And he also and, and Woody Harrelson was fantastic. He was fantastic, yeah. and he also directed Jim Carrey in Man on the Moon. Oh yeah, as yeah. Uh, playing um, uh, Char- uh, Kaufman, uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, Andy Kaufman that was in Taxi and yeah. Saturday Night Live. And stuff. Yeah, 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 that's a great movie too. Yeah. So it's like he he doesn't have this like run of like decent movies, but he's got like a good handful of. Unbelievable movies, and so I'll ask you this, Jim: If you had to pick a career of like the majority of what you do is on a scale of six or seven to ten, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, yeah, we we're talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, professional athletes, or you could have a career where most of the stuff you do is unrecognizable, nobody cares, but you got four or five big hits. Yes. What would you choose? I I, I think I would take the big hits. Like I want to be. I would rather be known for some seminal piece of work that is transformational no no i i I think that's fair i think that's fair i i would i would rather be known for that though i'm also very conservative when it comes to my you know how i want to live my life and making sure i'm set up right 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 things like that so i might do that you know, there, there's that aspect. Of there is the also work. the cashing checks part. Right, exactly. And, and, and funny thing is that Mozart had that problem in this movie. Yes, he, for sure. Because he had, he had trouble cashing checks because it's like he would do something big and then he'd go below that wad and then all of a sudden he's out of money again. Another theme uh, that, that has repeated itself throughout history is that musicians traditionally have been poor money handlers. Mm-hmm. And uh, managers of the, of the money. So, uh, you know, we're seeing that there too. And whether or not that's true or not or whether or not it's... You know, a well, Jimmy Hendrix's first in. contract, he pretty much like signed his life away. Right. Yeah. I mean, Billy Joel's been bankrupt like nine times, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and it's and I don't think that it has anything to do with their intelligence or aptitude or anything like that. No. It's like they just want to create. All they care about is their art. Yeah. I mean, like that's exactly right. Like there, there are a million bankers in America who couldn't play chopsticks, right? Like they, yeah. but they're really good at making sure your money's right. Like yeah. we all have a different skill set. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So the 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 next thing, the next big scene in this movie, though, is the I personally think. One of the best scenes in a movie. So the the Archduke or whatever in mm-hmm. Salzburg doesn't like Mozart because you know he's Mozart and he's obnoxious, and so he he sends him off to Vienna, which just happens to be where where the emperor is. And uh, there, so there's this scene where um, Mozart gets to meet, or the emperor gets to meet Mozart, right? Right. Because him and his court, and, and his, when I say his court, I mean like his director of opera, his director of music, all the musician people, right? Right. right. Um, they they want to talk to Mozart about p- potentially commissioning an opera, and so Solare is all excited about it. And you have this little scene where he's writing this little kind of like march piece, yeah. and you know that he's he, he so he, they Solare shows up first and, and, and is talking to the emperor, uh, Emperor Joseph, and he's like um, Mozart's not there yet, and he's like, uh, hey, I wrote this piece to play, and, the, right. and and it's great because I love Emperor Joseph. I do too. He's so great. He's, and I wonder if he's like this in real life. I, I don't know. So, I, I'm, yes, I love his character in this. And after we go through this scene, I want to get into Jeffrey Jones for a minute. Okay, the, char- okay, the, okay. the actor that plays. Okay, him. and so and so so he he asks Solare. He's like, "Let me look at the music." And he's like, "Ooh!" And he's like, "Can I play it? Can I try?" So he sits down at the now. What is that piano called? It's like something chord. Harmonic. It's like it's, it's like a harpsichord, harpsichord but I, harpsichord. I think they called it like a. Piano forte or forte piano or something yeah. like back then. Like, and it's, they still chime to it. Yeah, but it is basically a harpsichord. But it's still acoustic. Yeah. 
Absolutely, because you know, <laughs> right, 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 right. it is not a pedal steel or anything like that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but anyway, so he sits down. He's kind of like getting the the rhythm down, and Solari's back there, like C B B C, and he's like starting to play it. And they're like, and Mozart's coming, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, let me slow down so I can practice a little bit. And he's like, dude, and so anyway, finally Mozart comes in, and the emperor's playing the tune, and you know he stops, and they do the introductions, and they start talking to Mozart about doing an opera. And Mozart, of course, is real excited and enthusiastic, especially because they're talking about doing an opera in German. Mm-hmm. And and some of the Italian composers are very opposed to that. And then they kind of tease on Mozart. And then and then finally they ask him what his, uh, you know, you know, plot will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he says, well, you know, I'm going to do it in a Turkish harem. Yeah. And which they, they're kind they, of, whoa, what now? What now? <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> You're going to make Boogie Nights? <laughs> but, uh, but so they go on and like, they, you know, Mozart's just like, you know, your, your honor or sire or whatever. I'll do what you want me to do. Right. And then as, as Mozart's walking out of the room, the emperor has the scrolled up music mm-hmm. that Solari had wrote. And he's like, here, take this with you, Mozart. And Mozart's like, oh, I don't need it. I already have it in my head. Right. And, and the emperor looks at him and he's like, play it for me. Show then. me. Show me. Show me. So Mozart like sits down at the piano, and he just starts playing it, and it's just playing it, playing it. And after about a minute or so, he's like, "Did you try this? This, look, this sounds better. This sounds it? better. This sounds better." And like the next, like within like a second, not only did he memorize the whole piece. Wait, you just do the same thing over and over again, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. He's turned like this, you know, little piece that you know the untrained Emperor Joseph could play into like something that would sell. Yes, that's just right. Brilliant. That's right. That's right. And, and so, Solari's just sitting there he's like... He's steaming. He's so mad. I think that's... Isn't that the, the scene where he goes home and renounces God? I after think that, so. Uh, I think and, he does go home and renounce God. Like, like how could you do this? Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. So that scene, Jeffrey Jones. So he's the emperor, and uh, he's awesome in this role. And like I think you could have made a case for Jeffrey Jones getting a nomination for supporting actor for this. Just for the way he... His understated subtlety, his looks... His big eyes, and um, so do you know any other? Well, he, he, well, he, and he was the voice of reason, but yes. behind all or in front of, because he was emperor, in front of all those people that were like arguing over, like you know, Italian versus German, or whether right. Mozart was good right. or not. And did you notice in this movie, one of the things that I think Foreman did that was really clever was any time it was supposed to be spoken in German. They spoke with a regular American accent, right? Like it was just yeah. like Mozart spoke like he was an American. Joseph spoke like he was an American. So every ger- everybody who's German is speaks with an American accent. Everybody who is non-German speaks with some sort of a foreign accent. Yeah. So which I thought was very clever. Yeah, but, just this little twist. Oh. Yeah. So Jeffrey Jones. Um, do, do you know any Jeffrey Jones movies? Do you recognize him from anything? I mean, I recognize him from a lot of things, but it could be like an episode of Cheers. Right. It's like I don't know. So he had. Uh, some, he's had some pretty interesting roles, but uh, the one he's probably most famous for is the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in that one. He's in Beetlejuice. He was in the uh, 80s classic Howard the Duck. Of course. I don't think <laughs> so, I ever saw that one. No, it was terrible. But anyway, he, he was a good actor for what he was. Kind of a smarmy guy in most of his roles, and he had this bad porno mustache. Um but he got into a little trouble. Um, he actually is a registered sex offender. Did you know that? Don't surprise. He looks like somebody. He that looks might be, like he, a registered he, he sex like offender. Right? Who's our other registered sex offender that we had in earlier was, episode? Uh, yes, I, uh, it was a guy from. Uh, um, oh, he got in some trouble. Uh, it was Brewster's Millions. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he got in some right. trouble for uh, possession of child pornography and uh, soliciting some nude photos from a uh, a guy who was like, I don't know, he, he brought the charges at 17, but he was 14. So anyway, um, <laughs> Jeffrey Jones, interesting character, but... Sounds like a European emperor from the 18th it century. It does, it very much does. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed him so much in this movie, and I've never really like loved him and thought like, he's awesome, but in this movie, he was really, really awesome. Yeah, he, he, was, he was fantastic in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, that, you know, you, you talk about the, you know, the Oscar buzz around this movie and even though it didn't do great at the box office but just just around whether it's the music the talent whatnot i mean this movie was nominated for 11 oscars right and won eight it won best picture f murray abraham won best actor won a screenplay oscar set decoration costume design sound and the sound in this movie is awesome the sound cuts are great well you know who, who did the sound in this movie don't no you? i don't uh mozart Oh yeah, that. <laughs> and 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 you mentioned uh, John Williams earlier, and it, and it makes me you know we go back to that question of would you do, rather do one great thing or a bunch of really good things? Now, granted, John Williams done a lot of great things yes, too. Yes, but you know who is the best? If you consider Mozart to be the movie composer for this movie, is Mozart or John Williams the best movie composer of all time? Well, that's a great great question. Obviously, it's Mozart because his his. Uh, Record speaks for itself, but as far as like composing strictly for the film, it's it's John Williams. But yes, and and in fact, the um the movie that won best original score this year was a film called A Passage to India, and yeah, and the uh, the composer when he accepted the award said, "Thank goodness uh, Mozart wrote all that stuff before the movie, or else I would have lost to him." Yeah. So. Anyway, so it won those awards. It also won for makeup, which was awesome in this one. It also won for director. Um, it was nominated for cinematography. It was nominated for a second best actor in Tom Hulse, and was also nominated for film editing. Yeah, well, and there were, I mean, in, in 1984, there were a lot of great movies. Now, not all of them like Oscar buzz type movies, but Terminator came out, mm -hmm. Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune, Gremlins, right. Beverly Hills Cop. Um, what I think should have won Best Picture, which is This is Final Tap. <laughs> Yeah, uh, duh. Duh. Karate Kid, The Natural. I mean, it goes on and on. Killing Fields, Romancing the Stone. And, of course, they, a Police Academy. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, this was a really splash, never-ending story. And one of the Star Trek movies, Footloose. As far as great... Um, Top Secret was a great movie. Yes. Um, yeah, Rewatchable movies. Rain. Uh, yes, that's right. So, on, on that subject, um, that year... The, the Muppets Take Manhattan? I, I love that movie. I love that movie. So that year, one of the interesting things was um, uh, the, the best original song nominees that year were Ghostbusters, yeah. Footloose, yeah. and let's hear it for the boy from Footloose, and Against All Odds. And all four of those are all right. But the one that won was I Just Called to Say I Love You by Stevie Wonder. And that's the one of those four that I will I would never listen to. No, that's not on my playlist. It's no, horrible. 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 And I love Stevie Wonder. Like, uh, 70 Stevie Wonder is awesome, but... And, and, for, and, and for, for you young listeners that are wondering, yes, somebody did make a movie based on Orwell's 1984 book, and that movie sucked. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I've never even watched it. It was so bad. So for actual movies that were nominated for Best Picture that year. So I already mentioned The Passage to India. There was a movie called A Soldier's Story, Places in the Heart, and The Killing Fields, which is a great movie, and Amadeus. Amadeus won. A lot, and of, I, a lot of very like deep movies deep, there. Yeah. Heavy movies. And that was a big thing, I think, for the Oscars for a long time um, in, that, in that era. Like the early 80s, late 70s, there was a lot of that. 
Um, but I think the Academy got this one right. I think in terms of like just a, a, a great cinematic experience, Amadeus is that. You know, and it was, um, you know, this doesn't happen very often. Apparently it's happened before, but you had two actors. So both, you know, F. Murray Abraham playing Solari and then Tom Holsey uh, playing Mozart that were both nominated for Best Actor. Yes, that's correct. And it's happened 11 times previously, uh, and only four times has uh, an actor that was nominated with another actor from the movie uh, won the award. So it, it's it's kind of historic from that standpoint. Well, and, and, and do you know who those are? Yes, I do know who those are. Those are Going My Way, Judgment Nuremberg, Network, and Amadeus. Those are the four where okay. you had two um, nominees for best actor, and one of them won it. And there were there were uh, seven other ones, and like one of them was uh, you know from here to eternity, and um, a couple that that I had never heard of or had never seen. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, I think Tom Hulse could have won this movie as as well as you know Abraham. I, I think so too. I think the the subtlety in the acting performance by Abraham is what won him that that award because yeah. uh, you know Tom Hulse is over the top. If Murray Abraham's very subtle, he's very conniving. He's Working some different angles, you see, a, it, it's a pretty deep um, performance, I think. Yeah, and I mean, in the, in the movie, I, I, I personally, I kind of get a little bit bored with the the Solari thing. Just always, you know, questioning God and why did Mozart get all the talent and all that? Because what what happens, you know, as the movie continues, is basically you just kind of have this run of different operas being commissioned. Um, you know, first to the one that we just talked about a few moments ago, where he writes the German opera. And and he puts on the German opera and big opening night. And at the end of the performance, the emperor comes up on stage and he doesn't have the best thing to say about it. Right. No, he's um, he thinks it's, it's it's fine. But uh, there were um, uh, he can't figure out what to say. And his um, minister of music or director of music, whatever, says too many notes, too many notes. And, and Mozart is like. Do you mean too many notes? Like, well, there are only so many notes that the ear can hear at a certain time. And that scene has resonated with me from the first time I watched it. That is, to me, the, the, one of the takeaway scenes in this movie. Because I think that's right for a lot of people. Like, have you gone to a concert, Nate, with somebody who doesn't know the band, and they just get kind of bored and sit there, or they're not into it, or they hear they, they, they hear the song, they, they know two or three songs this band's playing, and in the new stuff, they're like... I don't know what's going on here. Well, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the, the way I would position that these days is heavy metal, right? So if you go listen to a Metallica concert or even a Metallica cover band, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with how fast they play and how much music they're pumping out at you, it's probably going to be like too much. It's going to overwhelm you. Right. So I understand that sensory you know, overload. Right. But if you're familiar with the music, you're rocking your head and you're jamming and you're singing along and you're having a great time. Or if it's a style of music that you already know, right? I, I exactly. Mean, I, I think I think that's a big part of it, and I think that's what's so stunning is these people were accustomed to opera, they were accustomed to classical music, and yet there was still just too much going on. We couldn't process it all, which again speaks to the genius of Mozart and then being able to to create that. Yeah, and Solari is such a jerk. Yeah, he's so jealous. It's like just crazy how jealous he is. He it, it gets to the point to where he hires a maid. And sends a maid over to Mozart. Mozart got married now. Or he's married now. Sorry, that was terrible grammar. But he, uh, 
he sends a maid over to help clean up because, as we mentioned earlier, Mozart doesn't have that much money, and so the maid well, and his father shows up, and his father's mad because he doesn't have a maid, and he, they're right. kind of lazy, and yeah, there's you know empty booze glasses around all the time. The house is a mess, and uh, so so the Solari hires the maid to like spy right on him. Who, who is Cynthia Nixon, by the way, and uh, who would later go on to star in Sex in the City? Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and so she's spying on him, and basically, you know, the deal is, hey, let me know when Mozart's not going to be there. I want to go into the place. And she's like, okay, you know, whatever. Right. You know, and, 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 and you know what I was thinking about during this scene was it's like, Mozart's leaving to do a concert, so he's going to be gone for two or three hours. It's not like she could just whip out the cell phone and call Solare up and be like, hey, he's gone, come on over. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess, though, she, she could have to go get him. and Or, or maybe she was like, oh, he's going to be doing this concert on Saturday at 2 so come over Saturday at two. Like if, if they were, yeah. if she knew the plan. Well, but, she didn't go to leave though until he left the the, the apartment. But oh, yeah. regardless, Solari comes back and he starts, you know, looking around. He's all Snoopy and stuff. Which already, it's just once again, you're already jealous. You're already mad at God, and now you're breaking into somebody's house because you're so like jealous and desperate. obsessed. You're desperate, so yes. desperately obsessed with this guy, and he starts looking at some of the music that Mozart was was working on. And he notices that Mozart's working on a, a play, the, the Marriage of Figaro. Right. Which is banned. Which Emperor by Joseph Emperor. is banned, yes. Emperor Joseph is banned. And so, of course, Solari goes back and tells all of his friends. And the next thing you know, Mozart's getting called into the principal's office. And, you know, the Emperor's like, uh, you know I got this band, and Mozart just puts on this passionate, he's like, you don't know anything about love, which he's brought up before, the Italians don't they know anything scoff about at love, him and they scoff at him, and he stands up for himself, and he's like... And he tells, he talks about this this um, gimmick, almost, that he's doing, he's like, what if you had one person singing, and then added yeah. another, and then added another, and then added another, how long do you think I could keep that going? Six minutes, seven, how about twenty? Yeah, yeah, exactly, he's just like, just constantly just in your face i will challenge you with my art i will push the envelope with my art and i will convince you that like i know what i'm doing and i'm doing something different than no he would challenge that um most of the operas were like about the gods you know the greek gods the roman gods and things like that he was like that's so boring Mm -hmm. you know and they're like what that's eternal and it's like no it's boring it's like i want to do something different and so he, the emperor though, once again, this goes back to how the emperor is kind of cool. Right. And yes, I don't know if he was really like that, but in this movie, he was, yeah. he was a very uh, reasonable individual. Yeah. Yeah. Most reasonable of all the ones in the court. And so the commissioner actually gives him the okay to, to do the, do the opera. Yeah. He kind of explains how it's going to open. And then, then the next thing you know, they're in uh, rehearsals for, for this opera. Right. And the, and the rehearsal begins. And <laughs> I think this is pretty funny because Solari, once again, is such a jerk. It's like they're watching like rehearsals happen, and there's a dance scene right at the right. at the marriage feast. Yes, right at the at the at wedding at the wedding, and all of a sudden they're like, "Wait, that's ballet!" And the emperor is also prohibited ballet. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? Oh, they run back and tell the principal again. Mm-hmm. There's ballet in it, and the actual director of the opera before they even do that, goes up and takes Mozart's music and like takes it out. Yep, throw it on the floor. Throws it on the floor. And so this, I thought this was a great part too. And once again, I know this is fictionalized. Right. You know, so this probably did not happen, but this is classic. So they're having another rehearsal towards the end of rehearsals and all the other, you know, musical court people are there and the emperor shows up and Solari is like, the emperor never shows up to rehearsal. Right. They just happen to show up to this one. Well, so they, they've tricked, they've tricked Mozart into, you know, if you want ballet, there can be no music. So there's all these people just 
doing ballet dance on the stage with no sound. <laughs> with no sound. And then first, like, is this is this is this modern? Is what this, what's is going, going on? on here? And, and then when they finally tell him, and Slory at this point kind of defends Mozart a little bit, and it's like, well, it's your rule, sire. Mm-hmm. It's your rule. And the emperor's like, well, I want to see it with the music. And so. Yeah, they go tell Mozart. Yeah, yeah and he says, "Yeah, uh, so start the start the music." The emperor wants to hear the, with the music, see it right. with the music, and uh, it's like, yeah. "All right, that's good." And so, and so, then next thing you know, it cuts to the scene of the actual opening night, mm-hmm. and everything is going great, and they're showing that scene again now with the music. Everything is great and grand and wonderful and beautiful, but the emperor starts to yawn a little bit, mm-hmm. and Solari is like, "Oh, one yawn." You know, mm-hmm. okay, two yawns, your show only lasts a week. Three yawns, you're done by tomorrow. Right. Which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but, you know, anyway, it's like this, the, the movie progresses on and on with like, you know, more operas, more tensions, more Yeah, we things. see him do, you know, um, Don Giovanni, and then, and then um, it's a lot of opera. The, the big plot points, you know, that come up next is that, that his, his father dies. He, he gets word that his father dies, and so then he writes um, another opera that's based on that, and of course that makes Salieri even matter because he's conjured up this guy from the dead. Right. And so, you know, we go on through another opera, and then they're watching another... And, and the the late opera, do, do you... Um, well, the late opera, though, and I think what's important here is we, we already start to see, because Salieri's already admitted to the priest at this point that he, you know, how much he hates him and how much he's... Kind of manipulating Mozart. Yeah. And he's like, I will work him to death. Yeah. And so then the next big plot twist is that Solare shows up at Mozart's house wearing a mask that, uh, well, let me go back one step. And I, 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 there was a party where um, Mozart had taken his father to while he was still alive. And everybody was saying, Mozart, play this music. And he was being all fun and stuff. Hey, impersonate this person, impersonate that person. And Solare was there and he was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. He's like, play Solari. And Mozart just made fun of him. Made fun of him. So yeah, that just him. hurt him again. So anyway, um, by, by now, Solari is just, you know, just trying to ruin Mozart, but not in a public way, just wear him down. So Solari shows up at his house and it's like, I want you to write a requiem, well, requiem for death. So so basically, to take it back one more step, when one of the great images in this movie is Mozart's father. Every time he shows up, he's dressed all dun, in dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it, it's... Like when he come turns the stare and he sees this guy in this big black cape and and hat and it's his father. You think it's some scary dude, but it's his dad. And then when they're at that party, his dad it's a masquerade and his father has on this two head this two sided mask and one side of it is a, a smiling face and the other side of it is a, a frowning face. And so um, in this later scene, uh, who who in the movie it's Salieri, he shows up. At Mozart's door, in this same mask that his father wore, uh, telling Mozart to record a or to write a requiem, a death march, a, a death uh, a requiem, and he thinks it's his dad, but he's also you know it's this ghost of his dad in his mind, but it's Salieri, and he he says he's going to pay him handsomely, and so that's a big deal, and so you know then we go from there. Now quickly about that. Uh, that actually happened. Someone paid Mozart to write uh, Requiem, which he didn't finish before he died. It was not Salieri. The uh, historians say it probably was some wealthy count who um, wanted him to write this and then give it to him so that he could 
pawn it off as his own and, and that he had written for his dying wife. Right. So they're they're taking all kinds of like different massive stories liberties, and, and, massive and, and, liberties. And, and blending them together and weaving them together. And I mean, so this is where we start to see Mozart going from being this cheery, giggly, obnoxious, but yet fun to all of a sudden it's like you start to see like some decline in him. There's a real spiral there. There yeah. is a real spiral. And I, I think that go, goes to, to Tom Hulse's acting ability. Mm-hmm. And to, Tom Hulse, and I know a lot of people, you know, he's not been in tons of movies. Pro- probably the only movie that most people would recognize him from is he was in Animal House. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And what was, I forget which character he was, but you would rec- if you yeah, go back yeah. and, I mean, even if you look at him in Mozart and you think of Animal House and the characters, you immediately will recognize him. Mm-hmm. You immediately recognize him. But he's actually a very well, I mean, he grew up in the theater. You know, he, he's been involved in it. He, he prefers, I don't know if he prefers, but he's found himself more in the theater throughout his career. He's still alive, still working. Right. You know, producing, directing, all those types of things. Um, you know, and his net worth these days is still around $15 million. It's not like the guy's had, like, he was not like he was a one-and-done actor. It's better than we're doing. Better than I'm doing, yeah. Better than, yeah. I mean, if we put both of us together. Nope. <laughs> not even close. Not even close. Not even close. But, you know, I mean, he's one of those guys that, like, you know, wanted to be in – in front on the stage in front of people since he was a small child and he's done it mm-hmm. and he's probably gotten to pick what he wanted to do and mm-hmm. choose what he wanted to do and made a very good life out of it without being obnoxious. He's like the right. anti Mozart. Right, that's right. And so you know, kudos to kudos to him. Um and, and, and as the movie starts to kind of like go through like the the demise of Mozart, you see Solari still taking advantage of him and taking him down to the point, and you'd mentioned earlier, like the Common Man Opera. Mm-hmm. You know, but by now Mozart is, he's so stressed out by writing the the Requiem, and he has this friend that like, you know, that does opera, like, where like, it's wooden benches, mm-hmm. and people are hooting and hollering. It's a vaudeville. Like, it's you know, vaudeville. It's a vaudeville. Yeah, totally vaudeville. And... The guy tries like, "Hey, I'll give you like you know half the gate if you'll come right." Come right. So they so so they see this guy's opera. So they're sitting there watching it, and then afterwards, you know, this uh, friend comes to him and says, "Write me one. I'll give you half the gate." Now, did you did you notice the cameo? Do you know the cameo in the vaudeville opera? No. Other other than all the munchkins from uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. You're on the right track. Kenny Baker, R two D two, is R2-D2, one of the yeah. short guys in that. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of yeah. It was it was like a combination of Oompa Loompas and you yeah, know, Munchkins from uh, Wizard of Oz. That's right. But it, well, and this is what amazed me too about not only this scene. Well, the, all the opera scenes in general, the sets were so amazing. Yes. But then they would destroy them. Like people mm-hmm. would be, and even at the vaudeville act, it's like. People were ripping through the walls right. and dropping through the ceiling. It's like, so you're rebuilding that every night? Well, I guess they probably weren't doing it every night, but maybe every week or every something weekend, like that. Every weekend, maybe yeah. it was like a yeah. weekend show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, once, a, yeah, it was, it was, it was still interesting because you kind of, you know, kind of see Mozart kind of slipping out. Of course, by now he's like drinking all the time. His eyes are hollow. You know, apparently he's doing some type of drugs, which back then would have been what? I, I don't know. You're the pharmacist. I don't know what they with opium. I don't know. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, and, and at this point, like the his friend comes over and and offers him the the opportunity to write this vaudeville, and his wife gets mad at him because they're having money problems. She's frustrated with well, him. Well, because he because he she's like, we need money up front. We need money. Yeah, take yeah. the cash and. Also, why aren't you writing this requiem where this dude's going to pay you right. like real money? Um, and so th- that gives us an opportunity to kind of talk about the his wife in this movie 
Elizabeth Barrage is her name. Right. And uh, Has she been there much? I no. I really her anything. I, her filmography is... she is, No. She was uh, born, in the, born in America. Um, I, I mean, the, the biggest other movie that she had done, I think, was Hidalgo with Viggo Mortensen in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Yeah. Um, but she, she has a lot of TV stuff, you know, Touched by an Angel and episodes of this and that. Um, but Meg Tilly was slated to play that role, but she injured herself playing soccer like a week before filming. And so they had to... Well, I think, but I, that's what I love about this movie, though. I love that, you know, it's not a bunch of A-listers. Right. And we've talked about other movies on this podcast where it was full of A-listers, and that's what made the movie great. But I think that's what makes this movie so great is it's not. Well, I think Elizabeth Barrage is great in that role. I oh, think she's she fantastic. Is awesome. She was fantastic. Absolutely. She should have been nominated. She should have been nominated for an actress Oscar. I, I agree with that. They should have just had their own Academy Awards just yeah. for this movie that year. <laughs> right, right. Who would have hosted it? Uh, Liberace? He was still alive, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was still alive. <laughs> Liberace and Lawrence Welk together. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and, yeah, so like we said, they're running out of money. And so one night, um, they're doing the the opera that Mozart wrote. So, so Mozart ultimately writes uh, the magic flute for, yeah. for this guy. And, and he's conducting it. And he, he's back at the he's, the piano, he's back at the, the harpsichord, whatever. And he passes out. He collapses. And of course, Salieri runs to his side and picks him up. And they take him back to Mozart's uh, flat or or hacienda or whatever it is. And uh, his wife. Yeah, well, is wait, 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 we forgot is that the wife that actually left him. She left him because she went out partying one night and went out and didn't come back. And one of the beautiful things about this movie is you will see him like talking to somebody and you will see inspiration for his music because he's talking to his wife's mother, his right. mother-in-law, and she's like kind of going off on him. She's gone to the spa and you need to do this. And she's just like yippee yep yippee yep at him. And he all turns, of a sudden yeah. he just turns it into like this uh, operatic. Bravado. Yes, yeah. it's awesome. It's, yeah. And so, Brad, so she's yeah. gone and Salieri takes him back to his place and they're sitting there and they're talking and um, – and, and well, and, and they're they're talking, and then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Right, and and, and Mozart's paranoid about the knock on the door because he keeps thinking that it's the the person in the mask, yes. forcing them to write the requiem, but yet still gives them money. So Mozart tells them, you know, tell the guy I'm working on it. I'll be done in a couple of weeks. Make him go away. Make him go away. So Solana goes to the door, and it's actually his buddy from the vaudeville act, right? Saying, "Hey, With- we want to check on him. How's he doing?" Solana's like, "He's sleeping. You can't bother him right now." He's like, "Okay, that's fine." He goes and he gives him a bag of coins. Here's half the gate. Here's half the gate. And so Solana goes back into Mozart and tells Mozart, he goes, he said, "If you can get it done tonight, you'll get a here's a hundred pence or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, here's some cash. Here's some finish cash. it tonight. You, you get, get to double it. You, you can double it." And, but Mozart's just exhausted. Mm-hmm. He can barely sit up, and he's like, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. And, of course, Solari sits there, and this is probably the other unbelievable scene in this movie. And, once again, it's fictionalized, I'm sure. But this, of all the fictionalized scenes, this actually I can believe happening. Mozart's laying in bed with Solari, who is a top-notch, top-world composer-musician. Of course. And... Mozart's just spinning the, the, the music off, and Solari can't even keep up. Yeah. No idea. You know? Well, and in that, in, in the filming of that, um, Tom Holtz intentionally, like, flipped stuff around, switched lines, to, so that it would confuse F. Murray Abraham as they were record, as they were yeah. filming it. So, but he's, he's, like, confused. He can't keep up. He's not sure what's going on. 
Um, it's like bring, bring three trumpets in right here on the third beat of the you know second measure. Yeah. Bring you know bring the altos in here. Bring the tenors in here. And you know are you keeping up? Are you keeping? He's like no, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. Yeah. Keep up. And they work all night long, you know, trying to finish the requiem. And they, and the next morning, the wife comes back, Mrs. Mozart. Mm-hmm. She realizes right? she's uh, Stanzi. Stanzi. Constanza or something like that. Yeah, but he calls like her Stanzi. Calls her Stanzi. Stanzi and Wolfie. Yeah. <laughs> Stanzi and Wolfie. So she comes back. Comes in the house and they're both asleep on the bed, and she wakes up. Not together. Not together. <laughs> not, not together. Not together. Beds. Salieri is in, in the, the baby's in, in the the baby little bed. boy's bed. Different bed. Wakes up Salieri and she's wanting to kick Salieri out. She takes and, and she sees a requiem and she's like, locks it away because she's like, he can't work on this anymore. It's killing him. You know, can't work on it anymore. And Solari's arguing, like, he wants me to be here. That You know, she's like, no, you have to go. And they're arguing back and forth, arguing back and forth. And all, all of a sudden, Stanzi turns around and looks. And Wolfie's dead. Right. But before he dies, she delivers one of the best lines of this whole movie. All right. When she looks at Salieri and says, you got to go, whatever. And he's like, and he's just kind of just like, I regret that we have no servants to, servants to show you out. <laughs> I regret that we have no servants <laughs> to show you out. Right, yeah. I, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It, so anyway, she does that. Then she turns around and Wolfie is not with us anymore. He is passed. Yes. He is passed at a very young age. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was 35 when he died. Um, so I thought about this. I think about this all the time when somebody younger than me passes away who's had a, a great career. So you and I have outlived Mozart, but we have not accomplished as much as he has. Oh, no, we have not. And but, we, we never will. No, but I feel pretty good about getting a few extra turns. No, no. I, once again, it goes back to, do you, do you want to be like, and once again, it goes back to the question of this podcast. Would you rather like have two or three shining star moments or just have a consensus consistency of being a okay star? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, and, and granted, I've never had that opportunity to be that shining star. Right. But in hindsight, I mean, I would I would still prefer to be alive versus Kurt Cobain. That's true. That's or Jimi Hendrix or yeah. Janis Joplin or yeah, all these people true. that died young. Yeah. Because I'm still alive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't or you could famous. just be Eric Clapton and be amazing and still alive. <laughs> I actually did have an Eric Clapton like thing in here. Oh, yeah, right here. Um, I had a note. Music biops are back. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. had Queen. We've had Elton, Elton John. John. You know, we had Ray a few years ago and right. Johnny Cash. Yeah. And, you know, and this was a music biop. Now, I, Clapton, I'm, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a huge Beatles fan, but I actually, I put Clapton a pedestal above even Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. And I, if you've never read Clapton's biography, please do. It's amazing. Nobody's. I would love to see Clapton buy out. It'd be awesome. I would It'd love to see Clapton really buy out. It would be really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, you know, the next cut is. I'll, pro- I'll produce it. Okay. I, I don't have much money. It's probably going to like. Nate's you know, going to produce it, but he insists that he be, get to be Eric Clapton. I get to be Eric Clapton. I get to be Eric Clapton. I'll, I'll learn to play guitar for the role. Right. I promise. Right. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm a method actor. I can do that. Yeah. So, uh, and Tom also learned to play piano for this role. Like, he yeah. played guitar before. And, and, and one of the amazing things about this movie is it's been scrutinized, and as I understand it, basically every note that you see played in the movie matches with the Mozart piece that's behind it. So, basically, what you see is what you hear. Yeah, that's he learned amazing. to play what needed to be played yes, for the movie. that's right. That's right, right. right. That's awesome. So, anyway, after that, the next next scene we get is... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the next scene we get is uh, just, you know, Mozart uh, leaving... The city of Vienna uh, in a casket. A very cheap casket. A very cheap casket. And everybody, and 
all the key players in the movie are standing at the gate of the city crying, and they really lingered too long on Cynthia Nixon and that. I don't know if you noticed that, but yeah, like, I was like, yeah, why are like, you? The maid. Yeah, seriously. Um, so they take him out, and then the the casket had a trap door. I'd never seen that before this movie. Oh no, no, that's just where you just drop him into the uh, yeah. Because it was kind of like a group burial spot right. where you so, just drop the bodies, and, in. Yeah, right. and you and, can reuse the casket. casket. See, and, even back then there was a reusable economy. Yes. Well. <laughs> So that's another. So I did look this up because uh, Mozart was not buried in a pauper's grave. He was buried in what's called a common grave. Mm-hmm. And so there, the, there was a pauper's grave, and, and uh, what's the difference? And there was a communal grave. So a co- there, there was a common grave and a, a grave for aristocrats. So the aristocrats would be buried, and their graves would be left alone. But a common grave, they would bury the person, and then in ten years they would excavate it and rebury somebody there. So they would leave you there to decompose. So he wasn't buried years. with other bodies. He was not buried with other bodies. He was buried in a single grave, and then after his body decomped or whatever, they buried somebody else there. So do, are there anything left of his remains? Uh, not the, I don't know. I did not find anything. Because you that. know, it'd be really cool if, if if you could find his remains and make some piano keys out of his bones. How much would that piano be worth? Um, it'd be worth a lot, but man, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. you know, sometimes the mind wanders. Yes, yes. Indeed. <laughs> so anyway, and and then we wrap up with Salieri one more time, and this is tying it back to the fiction of this movie. Um, Salieri is talking to his priest, and then, and then like you know, the orderly comes in and says it's time for breakfast, and wheels him out, and he talks about being the patron saint of mediocrity. Well, and this is where something that we've we've been watching these scenes with him and the priest, and we haven't talked about it much because they're kind of boring. Because it's like I got tired of listening to Salieri whine about everything. Yeah. He's in a mental hospital. He is in a mental hospital. And they, they take him out and he just says, I absolve you, mediocrity, and he absolves all of it's these all these like really, all of these really yes, people. this yes. And they're like chained at the neck and they're in boxes and it, it's really a disturbing scene. Um, and so he goes off on his merry way. And, and, or, I don't know if it's merry, but he <laughs> goes to breakfast at the mental institution. He's still dressed really well. Um, But I guess the one thing that I could kind of reconcile with the fiction of this movie is at the end of it, you realize that he's not in his right mind. And, in fact, they are correct on that. Salieri lived his last... He died, I think, 74 years old, but the last couple of years of his life, he suffered from severe dementia. So if you're in a mental institution and you have severe dementia, it's conceivable that what he was telling was what he believed to be the truth but could have been completely made up. Sure. So I can. So I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, I don't think this is how this actually happened. And at the end of, it, I'm like, ah, this is this is how you can tie that together and and allow some of the liberties with the plot. No, I I think that's a brilliant observation, Jim. And 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 the way the movie ends as they're wheeling him out, everything that you just described, all of a sudden you hear Wolfie's laugh one more time. Yeah. Fade to black. Yeah. Movie over. You know, there's a reason that we saved this one for mm-hmm. into season one. Yeah. And and if you haven't seen it, do. I totally agree. It's a it's a great movie. I mean, again, eight Academy Awards. Um, it's been continued to be well received. Roger Ebert has it on his list of movies that you need to see. You know, I, I think it is a great movie, and it's timeless. I, and it's it's timeless, and it's it it is very entertaining, and it's a three hour biopic that doesn't feel like a three hour movie. No, no, and there and there's nothing. You know, we, we've talked a lot in our first season about movies, you know, I mean, the whole concept of this podcast is we watched a movie 20 years ago, we're going to watch it again now, and has it held up, and is it still good? 
Well, obviously this one still is. It's still uh, awesome. Ob- obviously it is. I don't think that's within question. But what makes this movie unique is it's no different. Whether I watch this movie when I'm 11 years old, whether I watch it when I'm 22 years old, 33 years old, 44 years old, 55 years old, 66, 78, 88, 99 until I die, it's always going to be exactly what it is and it's always going to be that good. I, I agree with that. I, this is a great movie and uh, it's it's so many of these heavy movies like we talked about this this there were heavy movies that were on that list of best picture nominees. This is a this is a a, a lot to chew on. But it's also a movie, if you've got a 12-year-old at home, sit down and watch it. It's very family-friendly. It's no, nothing, outstanding. There's nothing in there other, other than his wife's bosom, which that's about the most profane thing in it. Yeah, it's it, it, there's nothing that's offensive about this movie, and it's one that you could see. And the subject matter is, um, there's a lot to talk about there and, and to really enjoy. And there's a lot of things to learn. Whether, yeah, whether it's Whether it's just the struggle with spirituality, like Solari had, the struggle with fame, like Mozart had. The struggle with fathering, like mm-hmm. like uh, his father, father did. Yeah, yeah. You know, the struggle with being married to somebody that is a little it's out there. Struggles, yeah. Like, yeah. Wife did. Or, or just hearing Mozart's music. music. Yes. That gorgeous music. Yes. I mean, it's there's there's so many things to it. Um, and quickly, on the subject of the music, I, I meant to get this in earlier, but this is one of only four movies that won the Academy Award for Best Picture and also won the Tony Award for Best Play. Uh, the other ones are My Fair Lady, A Man for All Seasons, The Sound of Music, and Amadeus. So that's a pretty uh, nice feather to have in the cap of this film, too. Would you want this movie to be remade, or do you want to... Nope. I never... I never. I, I, I don't think it could be... Like, it would be a mess. It, no, you can't do it better than it's been done. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's like the ultimate testament of a movie. Yes. Is it's like, yeah, there's, why even try? Why even think about it? Whoever, whoever even brings it up should just be kicked out right. of business. Right, right. I mean, I wouldn't call it a perfect movie. There's some nits to pick. Sure. And there's some, there's some scenes that are that are questionable. But overall, this, uh, again, this movie's still good. I'm still going to give it an A. And uh, ultimate, it, yeah, it's an A, it, a plus. Yeah, it, there's no need to even think about doing Is this the best this. movie that we covered in yes. season one? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, so here we are, summertime. Tomorrow is the first day of summer. We are going to be taking a summer break. And what we'll ask you all, our, our friendly listeners, to do is if you haven't listened to every episode, please do. Um, if you want to listen to some of them again, of course, that's wonderful. But tell your friends. You know, that that, you, that this is a good podcast. It's a good use of time. We know it's long. We're not stupid. Tell them, hey, you might want to break it up. You know, yeah. Take, you know it, it, if you're doing a 20-minute jog every day, you know, listen to 20 minutes of it, start it up again the next one, just be ready to kick the next one. Now, did we start a webpage recently? So, just this week, the website is up, www.isthatmoviestillgood.com. You can go straight there. You can listen to every episode directly from the webpage. Um, you can still also listen to Apple Music, Google, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn. You can listen wherever you want to, Podbean, our, our host site. But we do have the website up. You can contact us through the website. We've got a contact form on there. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, I've got some promotional stickers coming up soon. Uh, you so the koozies yet? I, I've looked at koozies. Uh, koozies are coming. So I have stickers. I'll totally give a sticker to anybody who sends me their address. Um Koozies are a possibility for this year. We would, I've, I've got in my head a couple of ideas where um, maybe if you're really interested and, and we do a little contest or something, we get enough traction. Maybe we send you a koozie. Maybe we send you some uh, uh, cop, our, our show notes um, because 
you know. Well, and you know, there's all, and and, and, I, and I know our season finale, the sound was a little br- brutal in yeah. some spots, but there's also, you know, hey, you could be a guest. Yes, guess, yeah, yeah we'd love spot. to talk to you. And so, yeah. um, uh, but check out the website, get in touch with us. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to hear ideas. We're, we're working on, um, right now, what movies are we going to do for the next season? Oh, we already have way too many. To, we've like, we've got it a down. lot. And, uh, we're going to have them uh, arranged better, prepared better, so we can drop them in a, in a sequential fashion um, without as much gap. So, and, and actually, we're not, because that's the rule that Jim's making that we will probably break. That's probably true. But, <laughs> but, it's, it's, but it's, you, we all have to have goals we can't attain. Exactly. Set a goal you can't attain, and at least you made some effort. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, anyway... Um, we appreciate all the support. Um, I cannot believe how many countries uh, we got. How many got countries listening. are we up to these? Days? I don't know the numbers, but like we got, we finally got Canada. Oh, we uh, got Canada. We got Canada. Finally, we got Israel. We got the Philippines this week. Oh, I didn't know we got Israel and the Philippines. Yeah, we had a lot of South American countries yeah, we got, last time. We, yeah, we got Paraguay, Brazil, um, Netherlands, uh, big listeners. We got Sweden recently. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and, and is it this one guy that just travels a lot? I hope so. <laughs> no, I, I, it could be. It's, it's one of our neighbors. <laughs> He's got a really cool job. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, thanks again for listening. Yeah, um, thank you. Have a great summer. We're yeah. going to be back soon in a, in a you know a couple of months, six weeks, eight weeks, something, and uh, we'll see everybody soon. Um, this is is that movie still good? Peace out. See ya.